well, hey, this is Eric. I'm one of the ministers at Regency. I just wanted to thank you for checking out this message. We're praying that God uses this message to draw your heart closer to Him. If you're ever in the Mobile area, we want to invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. If you'd like to find out more information about Regency or to check out some other resources, visit our website at regencycc.org. So, so I know something about you, and it's true about pretty much every one of us in this room, and it's okay that we can admit it, but this is what I know to be true about you. You're selfish. I know it's kind of a bold accusation, like, wow, Eric, way to really start on a positive note. I mean, we're all born selfish. So do you remember, I mean, you don't really remember this, but if you've had children, you remember that, you know, right after you were born, when you took your first breath, the world quickly became all about you. And we know that because somewhere around the hours of 2 a.m. to 4 a.m., at some point, you had needs and you made everybody in the house aware of your needs, and you didn't care how much sleep they have gotten or have not gotten, you needed your needs met. And then about two hours later, right about the time they finally fell back asleep, you had needs again. And this cycle continued for a while. And then at some point in your life, you had to learn the lesson life is not all about you and that the world does not revolve around you. And that became the joys of parenting, where we learned or we're trying to teach our children that awful word, no. And by telling them no, we're telling them the world does not revolve around you. And for some of us, we learned it, you know, say around 7 or 8, maybe 12 or 13. Some of us are maybe still learning it at 30 or something. I don't know. But we're all still trying to learn the lesson that it's not all about me, but if we're honest with ourselves, we have to say that being selfish is natural, but it's also kind of being bred into us. We live in a culture that glorifies selfishness. I mean, we praise it and we shout it and we encourage each and every person to be selfish. In fact, there's a really popular phrase, uh, and I, I think it's been around for a while. I've just heard it kind of recently. It I've read that it traces its roots all the way back to like 17 or 1800, so it's not that new, but I've heard it a lot recently, and I think it kind of speaks to where we are as a culture. Here's the phrase, you do you. You ever said that before? You ever heard that before? I've said it before. just kind of rolls off the tongue. It's kind of a cute little phrase, you do you. Well, I looked up, like, what does it mean? I mean, I know what it means, but what do smarter people than I say that this phrase means? Here's what I found on the Internet so you know it's absolutely true. When someone says, you do you, they're expressing their feeling that you're allowed to do whatever you want. While they may not have the same interest or agree with your approach or values, they will say, you do you to either, this is really interesting, express support or to show that they will not try to stop you from doing what you want to do. You can use this phrase whether you agree with, disapprove of, or feel neutral about someone's preferences. Man, you can use this phrase in a lot of different ways. So somebody might say, hey, I was thinking about buying a house. And here's the house that we're looking to buy. And maybe you say something like, are you sure you can afford a house like that? I mean, you do you, do whatever you want, you do you. Somebody might say, you know what, when I have kids, I'm not going to make them do anything. Okay, you do you, good luck with that, All right? Maybe somebody says something like, hey, stop judging me, and you're like, I'm not judging you, you do you, okay? I'm not judging. We, we and I say we just as people, I don't know if you use the phrase, but this phrase and this mentality it's all throughout our culture. It's being pounded into our minds through media, 
through stuff we read online, through messages we see just riding down the road, commercials, radio ads. It's everywhere, not to mention it's deep down inside. This part of us that I just want to do what I want to do. So we've been going through this series that we're calling Created for Good, where we've been walking through the letter to the Ephesians. And up until this point, we're about halfway through the letter, Paul's been spending a lot of time talking about who we are in Christ Jesus. You remember some of the phrases he talks about, like, we're chosen and adopted, we're predestined, we're sealed with the deposit of the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. And then he gets into chapter 2 and he talks about how we were dead, but now through Jesus we've been made alive and We've been saved by grace through faith. We were created for good works that he's prepared in advance for us to do. And then he talks about in the end of chapter 2, the dividing wall of hostility and all the barriers have been broken. We're all one in Christ Jesus. Then in chapter 3, we learned about this open secret, this mystery that was hidden from ages past. It's now been revealed. What's the secret? That through the manifold wisdom of God, God's building a great big family where he's calling all the nations back to himself in this this entity that he calls the church, the called out people. And then we spent some time looking at, a couple weeks ago, the end of chapter 3 where Paul goes back into another time of prayer and he's praying for us to grasp the power of God's love, wrap our minds around it and our arms around it, and it's impossible. But that's what he prays for us to do. And now he's going to shift gears and he's going to get into chapter 4 where he's going to talk about what does it look like to live as a new humanity. That's a phrase that he kind of comes up and coins. And the idea is that in the kingdom of God, when you are born into the kingdom of God, you enter into a new humanity. He's going to say things like in his other letters how when you're baptized into Christ, you're raised to walk in newness of Christ. Anybody who's in Christ is a new creation. It's this idea of newness. You're a new human. But remember when we read through the letter of the Ephesians, when we read the word you, it's not you singular, it's you plural, it's y'all. So we are a new humanity. And what I find fascinating is he can go anywhere he wants to in chapter 4. He can talk about anything he wants. He spent months and months and months writing this letter. He and his writing team have spent time thinking about every single section and they've written it and then edited it and then gotten it down to exactly how they wanted it. And then they start organizing it into the exact pattern that they want it to be. And when we read through it, we can see the way that they've patterned it out and it's phenomenal. So now starting chapter 4 as he shifts gears, what he chooses to talk about I find really fascinating. He's going to talk about unity. And here's kind of our big idea today. As long as you're focused on you, there can be no unity. As long as you're focused on you, there can be no unity. Where selfishness is praised, unity cannot exist. So we've got some work to do. Because we've got selfishness deep down within us that we've got to deal with. And we've got selfishness that's all around us. And somehow, we're called to be together. So let's read Ephesians chapter 4. I want to start in verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 16. It's a longer reading, but I want to read it, and then we're going to spend the time working our way back through it. So Ephesians 4, starting in verse 1. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit with a bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. 
In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ, till we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into every way, into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We're only going to need about 30 hours to unpack all this, so I hope you're ready. Just kidding. We don't have that kind of time. So we're just going to hit the surface level of this, and I hope you'll spend some time unpacking it because the language that Paul uses, every phrase, folks, is a lesson in and of itself. I'm just going to give you the highlights and hope you spend some time looking through this later. When he starts out in chapter 4, he uses this word call several times, three or four times just in the first couple of verses. And if he does that, it's because it's important. We are being called. You have been called by God. You're here today because of a calling of God over your life. He's calling you to salvation. He's calling you to serve him. The idea of God calling is all throughout the Bible. The question is, what is God calling you to? Well, Paul, according to Paul, he's calling you to to walk worthy of the calling that you have been called. Now, that's an interesting phrase, walk worthy. Walk just simply means to live. Do you feel like you can live worthy of Jesus Christ? What do you think? For me, it's a big fat no. There's no way. I do not feel as though I can live worthy of Jesus. I can't live worthy of this life he's called me to. But Paul thinks that we can, because this is what, why he tells us to walk worthy. But what I find so fascinating is how he tells us we are to walk worthy. I mean, you would think he would say something like, it has everything to do with your relationship to God. It has everything to do with the amount of time you spend in prayer. It has everything to do with the amount of time you spend studying your Bible and evangelizing. But that's not what he says. And I'm not saying this is a full grasp of what it means to walk worthy, but what he picks I find so fascinating. If you want to walk worthy, he's going to tell you you've got to learn to walk together with other people. Did you pay attention to some of the words that he uses? He uses things like being patient, being gentle, bearing with one another. It's kind of like this. When, you go, when you're going to go for a walk with somebody, and my family and I, we kind of go on walks. We have... Uh, Two very little active dogs, uh, medium-sized dogs. One of them's a little puffy, but they're very active. So we have to walk a couple of miles a day to, so that they don't you know, get destructive in our house and kind of keep them tired. So when we go out for a walk, me and Chief, that's our older dog, we're out ahead because he cannot stand to be behind somebody. Okay? He's a leader. That's why we named him Chief. Well, Haley and the girls are usually behind us. It's really hard to walk together when we're walking the dog because he wants to be out ahead. But even when we don't have the dog with us and we're just walking, I find myself naturally walking faster. And it's not that I'm trying to. And it's not that I don't, I don't know that I'm necessarily a fast walker. It's just that I'm usually ahead. And so I try to slow down so that we can all walk together and hope that when I slow down, they don't slow down even more so that we can walk together. It means to walk at each other's speeds. When Paul talks about living a worthy life, He's calling us to walk at each other's speed, walk together. Think about this. We're all at different levels in our spiritual life. We're at different places. 
Some of you have been a Christian for a really long time. Some of you have been a Christian for a really short time. And the rest of us somewhere in between. But even within that, we have different levels of understanding. We have different levels of spiritual maturity. We have different gifts and abilities. We're all at a different place in our journey. And it's really not, it's not a realistic expectation for me to expect you to be where I am or for you to expect me to be where you are. We've got to learn to walk together at each other's speeds. But he also talks about how we're called to walk together at each other's speeds and in each other's shoes. That's why he uses the idea of patience. I remember when my kids were really li- were a little bit younger, they'd find a pair of my shoes and they'd put them on and they'd come walking in. They'd say, Daddy, look, I'm wearing your shoes. And it was so cute. You know, they had a hard time walking around. And that was a great reminder to me. I need to regularly put on other people's shoes. I mean, not literally. That'd be kind of weird. You know, see a pair of shoes lying around. I'm going to try them on. Don't leave your shoes around, folks. The idea is that we see life from each other's perspective. I need to learn to stand in your shoes. You need to learn to stand in somebody else's shoes. It just means you're seeing life from their perspective. And then he says, bearing with one another. Some translations say putting up with one another. Are there people in your life you just have to put up with? Oh, absolutely. Some of them live in your own house. Sometimes we just have to put up with each other. We get on each other's nerves. We do things that really irk one another. We do things that hurt one another. And the call of the gospel is not to leave when something goes wrong. The call of the gospel is to bear with each other, to be patient, to walk together, and sometimes to hold each other's problems, to walk together with each other's problems. And sometimes that means we just got to put up with each other and put up with the problems that we know somebody has. But that's a part of being faithful. That's a part of being family. You don't just kick your family to the curb when they get on your nerves. Hopefully you don't. Please don't do that, right? That's what we're called to do. Be together. Walk together. Now the second thing he tells us to do is to work together. What I find so fascinating is in verses 4 through 6, he highlights the unity in the body. He lists seven ones. Uh, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. You can read that list. But then in verse 7, he highlights the diversity in the body. Because after he highlights the ones, he says, but you all were each given a gift. You have a gift that was given to you by God. Now, the word that he uses for gift is the same word that we have for grace. So the idea, the idea is that it's, it's a grace gift. God has graciously given to you talents, abilities, resources, opportunities, experiences, stories, all for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. You have a gift. And after he talks about having this gift, there's a really weird section where he quotes from one of the Psalms. We don't have time to dig in. I wish we did. It's absolutely fascinating. Where the rabbit holes, we could dive down from that. But then he comes back to this idea of a body. He loves the metaphor that the church is the body of Christ. Just think about your body. Your body's made up of different parts, right? And each part has a different function. I mean, your thumb can't do what your big toe does. They kind of look the same, but they have completely different functions. Try picking up stuff with your big toe as opposed to using your thumb. It's incredibly difficult, right? Your stomach doesn't have the same job that your eyes have. And they're all completely different, yet they all work together, and they do something really beautiful. And in fact, when the body works against itself, what do we call that? We call that being sick. And the metaphor that Paul uses is that we're all members of the body. You have a body part. If you're a part of the body of Christ, you have a body part. 
You have a part in the body. There's something that God has called you to do. There are gifts that God has given you, resources and abilities, that He's only given to you. And He's calling you to use them for the betterment, for the building up of the body. I mean, think about it like this. If your leg stops working, are you going to have a hard time? Yeah, absolutely. If your pinky, pinky finger starts hurting, does it affect you? Absolutely. I mean, just get a little paper cut on that sucker, and it'll about have you in tears, right? At least for me. I'm not very pain tolerant, okay? The idea is that regardless of how important you think your role is in the body, it's important. So what's your body part? That's what I want you to think about. What is your body part? Because you have a part in the body. Are you, are you the hands? Are you a person who likes to serve and work? Are you the feet? Are you a person who likes to go? And it talks about in the Bible how the feet of those who take the gospel out. Maybe you're a person who shares your faith. Are, are you the eyes? Are you a person who looks out for other people? Are you the mouth? Do you use your words to encourage others or maybe to teach or something like that? Are you the ears? Do you listen out for problems and listen to other people? Are you the nose? Do you sniff out when something's not right? Are you the shoulders and the arms? Do you, you like to help hold other people up? Are you the legs? Are you the person that tries to help move everything forward and keep us going? Are you the appendix? We don't really know what you do until it goes wrong. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Nobody is the appendix, okay? Nobody here is the appendix, all right? I just want you to think about what is your body part because you have one. You have a part in the body. But, but the second question is, are you doing your body part? Because if not, don't miss me on this. If you don't do your part in the body... It affects the whole. We cannot function and fulfill God's calling as much as God wants us to unless we are all doing our part in the body. And the cool thing is that when we do that, it's like a mosaic. It's like all these weird pieces come together. When you put them together, it's, it's beautiful. It's a piece of art. Well, here's the third thing Paul tells us. He's calling us in our worthy walk, and that's a call to grow together. He uses some really interesting language. Like, I, I think sometimes, and I know this because I've done it before, sometimes we read the Bible, and we read it, but we don't really picture what he's saying. Like, the language that he uses in this last little section, around verse 13, is he describes babies who are lost at sea. Is that not a weird image? I mean, go ahead and picture that. Babies being tossed around on waves. Whether that's frightening or strangely funny to you or somewhere in between, that's okay. I find it slightly humorous, but now I'm frightened that I find it humorous, babies being tossed by the waves. But that's the idea. you got all these babies, and they're just being tossed around on the waves. And the idea is utter chaos. It's complete helplessness. And if we're not growing, then that's what we are. We're in complete helplessness. We're like babies who are being tossed about on the waves, and whatever comes our way, that's what moves us forward. But he also talks about how we are to grow together into him, into Jesus, who is the head. So what we got to do is we got to picture again this body metaphor, and we know who the head is. The head is Jesus, and Jesus is a fully formed head. It's a grown man's head, whatever you want to picture Jesus as, okay? But then we have to picture the body, and that's us. And how are we doing in growing up? You ever seen a kid with a big head? I know they're cute and adorable. Okay, they're cute and adorable. If your child has a big head, they're cute and adorable. Have you ever seen a kid with a big head? Their head is disproportionate to their body. And at some point, hopefully, they grow into their head. 
And it may be why they have a hard time walking because they got this big old noggin on top of their shoulders and they got to learn how to balance that sucker and strengthen their neck so that they can stay upright, which is why they always fall down face forward. I mean, gravity, it's pulling that sucker straight down. That's what Paul describes the church as. We have a full-grown head, and if we're a little baby, and we can't walk, we can't move, we can't grow because our body is disproportionate to our head. But then he causes us to ask ourselves, how are we growing? When you were younger, or maybe you do this with your children, did you have a wall or a door frame in your house where you kind of chart their growth? Take a pencil or something, you kind of mark on the wall, measure them. Oh, look, this year you're here. This year you've grown this tall. We don't do that because we don't... We do that with pictures. Some of you probably do that with pictures. Like every first day of school and then last day of school, we try to take the picture at the same place or if they're taking it with me, like you can see their growth... I haven't grown, okay, not to burst your bubble. I haven't gotten any taller. I'm still praying for it, but it hadn't worked. But I can see how each of my children has grown, and you kind of chart their growth. And it's neat to see them grow up. What Paul is talking about is he wants us to picture us as the body. How are we growing up? When we measure up to Jesus, where are we? Well, we have to say we're nowhere close, and, and that's obvious. We've got to measure ourselves to him. But what's interesting about growth as a church is it doesn't always go upward like we do. It changes because our church changes. My guess is, for those of you who have been a part of the Regency family for a long time, you look around and you see a lot of new faces. Praise be to God. You look around and you see faces who used to be here, who've left and gone elsewhere or left and left their faith. And you might even look around and you, see, you don't see faces of people who used to be here because they've gone on to be with the Lord. The interesting thing about a church growing is that it, it constantly changes because people come and go, people move, people add, people leave, people die, people get married. Could use some of you to have some babies pretty soon? Just kidding, not, right? And it changes and it grows. And so when we look at our growth, boy, it'd be nice if we'd just be like, well, in, you know, 2018 we were here, and then in 2019 we were here, and then, 20, well, 2020 was COVID. We can scrap that one. In 2020 or 2021, we want to be here, but it's not like that. It could be that in, you know, 2018 we were here, and, man, in 2019 we, we got shorter. We didn't go up. I don't know, but I'm saying, oh, we didn't go up. But now, wow, this year we've seen a lot of growth spiritually, numerically, in our understanding, in our love for God, in our worthy walk of Jesus Christ. He wants us to chart our growth. So here's a couple of questions that I have for us as we close. I want us to ask ourselves these questions. Number one, are we walking together with others? I don't want you to read Ephesians 4 as a you. Remember, this is not a singular, it's not written to you as an individual. It's written to us as a church family. And every time you read the word you, it's plural. Are we walking together with others at their speed, in their shoes, and with their problems? How are we doing with that? Are we doing our body part? You can read that one kind of individually, but as a whole, where do we see gaps? Where do we see holes? Where do we see needs? Where do we see people who aren't fully fulfilling their calling to use their body part for the betterment of the body and the building up of the body of Christ? And are we looking more like Jesus every day? As we grow up, are we starting to look like Him when people look at our body of believers, our church family, do they say, oh, that, that looks a lot like Jesus. 
How are we doing? This, this is Paul's call. It's a call for unity. Don't forget, there can be no unity as long as you are focused on you. It's about walking with others. It's about doing our part for the betterment of others. It's about growing together into Jesus Christ. So are you a part of the body? Have you given your life to Christ? If not, why not? Give your life to Jesus today. Become a part of Him so that you can use the talents and the abilities that God has given to you for the betterment of the kingdom of God. It's what He's calling you to. And I hope today, if you've never answered His call, that today you'll hear it and respond to His invitation. If your heart has drifted from Him, if you've not been using your gifts, you've not been doing your body part, and you'd like to make a change today, oh, we'd love to pray with you and encourage you. We'd love to get you more plugged in, get you involved. It's not just so that we can say, look how many people we have involved. It's not about that at all. It's about us working together so that we can be a light to this community. This is what our world needs. Our world needs the body of Christ. Our city needs the body of Christ. Our city and our world needs a group of believers who are walking together and working together and growing together. Our world needs Jesus. And he's called us to be Jesus to the world. So today, we invite you to join this body if you've never done that. We're going to stand and sing a song here in just a moment. If there's any way that we can encourage you, pray with you, uh, assist you in being baptized into Christ, we'd love to do that. If you'll make your way to the front as we stand and sing.